sometimes it's hard to curve that outrage and that passion into making sure that your voice is heard in a, not a derogative way, but a how can we fix this way? And if I could pass anything on to anybody, it'd be their voices don't matter. That's so much about them and not about you. Just do what you need to do and keep shining. Raise 1000 Voices is the podcast on a mission to raise the voices of the clever, creative and courageous women across the world. I am your host, Jacqueline Nagel, and I invite you to join me in conversations with women who will inspire and empower you as we explore just how to lift our levels of self-trust, to reclaim the narrative and to use our voice to go after exactly what we want, doing it with strength, power and grace. Welcome to the next conversation in Raise 1000 Voices, where we have a surprising and delightful conversation with Rochelle Courtney, who is the founder and managing director of Share the Dignity. Now, Share the Dignity, for those listeners in Australia, is a national charity founded in 2015 with the mission to ensure that everyone is afforded the dignity in life that so many of us take for granted. Share the Dignity brings dignity to women, girls, and anyone who menstruates who is experiencing homelessness, domestic violence, and period poverty through the distribution of period products. Share the Dignity is powered by volunteers, and through Rochelle's contagious spirit, over 6,000 volunteers have jumped on board to help share the dignity. Now, you can find out all about her and all the places we find out all the things about all the people these days across socials and her website and everything else. But what I wanted to draw your attention to as we wind through this conversation is one is, you know, when Rochelle is described as contagious, she truly is. She has a sheer delight and incredible conviction to the power of her work. The second thing is, is that before bumping into the work of Share the Dignity some years ago, I didn't know period poverty was a thing that existed. The fact that it does is something that breaks my heart, but the work that she is doing goes far beyond donations and handbags and drives. She actually is changing legislation, having had the GST removed from period products and also now getting free products into schools and hospitals and universities and places like that. So her work is extraordinary, but it started simply and it is still simple. And it shows that the simplest of things that we can conceive can sometimes have the greatest impact. Settle in. This is an amazing conversation with the beautiful Rochelle Courtney. So right now, I would love to welcome Rochelle Courtney to this next episode of Raise 1000 Voices. Rochelle, where in the world are you right now? I am comfortably sitting in my office in Sangate Road, Virginia, which is a very new office for us. And it feels so good to not be in my home or another house. And we've got like a real office. It feels like you've become a grown-up once you move into the office, doesn't it? It's like, oh, it so yeah. does. It does. Yeah. We call it being at high school. <laughs> I love that. This is like us being at high school. So we had analogies <laughs> of look at us getting from prep into grade one. And we've it's always been our analogy of how old, what part of our organization is up to. We're in high school now. I really love that. I quite often say that we've relaunched our business and so I quite often say that we're just in the toddler years right now. It's kind of like we've got our feet and we're running at everything yeah. and we'll find what works. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're still a toddler even though we're a teenager at the same time though. Yeah, well, there's a lot of adults in our world that yeah, could yeah, probably yeah. play the same, yeah. so that's more yeah. than okay. So you said about, you know, we're really happy as an organisation to have made this move into the offices. What I'd 
really love to actually bring to our audience for those that don't know you. And I think if you're on the eastern states of Australia, you'd almost have to be under a rock. But for those that don't know you, can tell me a little bit about who Rochelle Courtney is, what she does, and a bit about the journey to get here. Yeah. So Rochelle Courtney is a mother of two, a grandmother to two beautiful grandchildren, a boy and a girl. And I founded Share the Dignity in 2015, which is like another one of my babies. Absolutely. That I'm exceptionally proud of. So, and Share the Dignity is a national charity that ensures that everyone is afforded the dignity in life that so many of us take for granted. Yeah. And for those who aren't sure what Share the Dignity is, what is that dignity that you are granting to people through the work of the charity? Yeah. So we are trying to eradicate period poverty here in Australia and we do three collections a year. We do two dignity drives in March and August where you will see collection boxes in all of the Woolworths stores and thousands of other businesses and workplaces where we collect period products to then give out to our 3,000 plus charities around Australia. And then we do my favourite, which is It's in the Bag. So it's our Christmas appeal that asks everyday Australians to fill a handbag with life's essentials, things like sanitary items, shampoo, conditioner, toothbrush, toothpaste, deodorant, soap, then whatever else you put into your bag is completely up to you. But making sure that there isn't a woman spending Christmas in a domestic violence shelter that doesn't receive a gift in the form of a handbag with the basic essentials in it. And, you know, it's so much more than a handbag, but I could talk to you about that for about an hour because that's exceptionally what I'm passionate about. And that's one of the things that I first bumped into the work of Share the Dignity. So I came across the It's in the Bag drive and the last couple of years have been a bit quieter, obviously, because of where we've been in the world. But the three years before we went into the pandemic, I actually used it as an excuse at Christmas time. And the biggest year that we did, we actually all turned up at my house and we had 140 bags that we dropped off to one of your depots. And it was just the whole feeling of everyone. And it was really interesting as well how over the top everyone went with what else went into the bag. And for anyone who's actually thinking about it at the moment, I mean, I went in to buy sunglasses from a sunglass shop and he said, and I just wanted to get a couple for a couple of the bags. And he said, what's this for? And I told him, he goes, oh, I'm the manager. He said, just take 20 pairs and fill your bags. So also too, when you talk to other people about what it is, they fall in love with it as well. So I think that's why it's viral. What is it that it does for these women when they get that gift of that bag at Christmas time? It's like a hug in a handbag. It's like saying, and I've never ever used those words, but when you just asked me that, it is for them when they feel alone and they haven't, they wouldn't otherwise get anything. It's the only Christmas gift they're going to get, but it's like a hug in a handbag, but it's also hope. Yeah. And it's also the thought that they're not alone and that some, you know, we'd always help a sister out if we could, right? Yeah. And that's really what it's in the bag is all about. And that really, that's what giving period products to make sure that a girlfriend doesn't go without the basic of essentials, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah. Share the dignity is really quite simple in it, in, in what it does. Yeah. One of the things I do love as well, and I'm sure that it's still there, but I was really taken with, there was one year where you actually introduced having the girls, the bags for teenage girls. And I think we quite often forget about the younger generations that are impacted and living in period poverty and any sort of poverty because period is poverty is a symptom of the rest of the poverty. Mm-hmm. So what actually prompted you to expand that? Was it recognizing that there were younger girls as well? Or was it, what, how did that come about? Yeah, we do three different types of bags now. Amazing. So we did originally just start with the female, with the women's bag, and then we extended to a teenage bag. And that was because we were dealing with child services and they were talking about 
how their young girls did, would not have got, and I'm not talking about young girls under 12, I'm talking about teenage girls teenage, and yeah. coming through foster systems and re- and they're fleeing domestic violence at that age, yeah. but they're also, you know, coming out of, you know, refuges and stuff like that and they're not getting gifts and they need and want different things in their bag than what a woman does. Yeah. So I think, you know, colouring, like I read a note yesterday on our Facebook page where she said both her and her daughter received a bag when they ended up in a DV shelter and there were a colouring in books in the teenage bag and she said as a mother and daughter they just sat their colouring in in this peace and safety oh. and nurturing peace that somebody else had cared for them. Like that to me is so important. Like you just, that $2 colouring in book that somebody gave impacted somebody else's life so tremendously that they wanted to write to us and tell us. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I think of you giving a bag is a legacy that you get to have that no one will ever take away from you. No, absolutely not. The Chair the Dignity is actually becoming something that a lot of us are having a language around and we understand your work. It wasn't always like that. How long ago did you start? So 2015, I started Share the Dignity and I started it, I was a personal trainer and I had all of my clients who were, you know, women in majority 40s and 50s come to me and I asked them to bring me a packet of pads or tampons for every wine they had in the month of March 2015. (laughs) That could have been substantial. (laughs) I know. This is why they kept coming back to see me. They'd never write the amount of wines down in their food diary, but you know, it's all about balanced life. But anyway, some of them would just give me a bag and go, don't count them, just know that I'm donating. So I just knew that early on that there wasn't, and this is being very honest, there wasn't a woman in Australia who wouldn't be empathetic that another woman was having to use socks or newspaper to deal with her period. Yeah. I was wrong for so many years because now I've expanded that to everybody in Australia, to men and women, right? I spoke directly to women for about the first five years because, and it was wrong, it's a lesson I've learned now, but really it's not a female's issue, it's society's issue. Yeah, This is about men and women being part of the solution because we could eradicate period poverty here in Australia. If we all donated, we all had the conversations, we were all part of that, we'll never eradicate poverty, we'll never eradicate domestic violence, but this is something that I believe I will be able to retire because I'll be redundant. People won't need me. Yeah. I mean, that's my goal, right? That's the goal of our charity for sure. Yeah, actually to work your way out of being needed. Absolutely. I love that. So when did you first, like, you know, you talked then about your personal training clients, bought everything for the amount of wines they drank. Yeah. I hope my personal trainer's not listening because I don't <laughs> want to do that to me. But when you were actually, like, that's obviously you did that. But when did you first become aware of it? When did this seed for you? Yeah, straight away. I'm not really a sit on a thing kind of person. <laughs> Same with it's in the bag. Literally, it's in the bag. I was cleaning out my bathroom. I'm going to come back to that. If I answer your first question, it was February 2000. It was end of February in 2015. And on March the 1st, I set up the Facebook page. And in May, and we had 450 packets donated in that very first little collection is what we call that. And then in May, a friend had asked me who worked ironically at a hospital where they help people who'd fled domestic violence. And she said, oh, can we get some more pads and tampons from you? I said, of course you can. And I did another call out on our Facebook page and it went viral. M. Rusciano picked it up, who was a Melbourne comedian. Yeah. Then the project wanted to do a story about it. 
And ultimately, we went from a collection in my local community to a national collection with Fernwood on board, with Cole, Terry White Chemist on board, Coles being participants at that stage. It was making stuff up as we went along and surrounding myself with amazing people. Little did I know at that beginning, did I need to have a board of directors, a constitution, pay fees and permits in every state, have insurances, set up a thousand processes and all of those sorts of things. And to be really honest, I didn't do it all. I just surrounded myself with amazing people. With good people. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I come from a whole world of having played netball. I played netball until I was 50 and I coached netball from the time I was 12 to the time I was 50. So I know that a good team has got to have seven good players and a couple more on reserve, right? And not one of those players is any more important than the other. It's about teamwork. I love that. And I think that has been a really big learning curve for me. Like it's massive to be able to go to take those skills that you get playing sport into your everyday life. I'd love to just have a quick side conversation on that because there are, as you know, there are a lot of young female-founded charities that kind of get so far, get some attraction, get some conversations going, but really they're trying to do it all on their own. So to actually, not just to women, but to women, female founders of charities, of frontline charities, what would be your number one piece of advice? Uh, Would it be that team factor? Would it be? Yeah, it it is the team. It is the fact that you, you can't do everything. And, you know, I would say even now we're running on the smell of an oily rag, you know, like you have to respect that somebody's donated $5 to your charity and you they're asking you to use that as wisely as you can. Yeah. But at the beginning, you know, we funded all ourselves, right? Yeah. So it's the same scenario. You can only do, and I had a full-time job. I had two businesses when I first started and I had to let one go, which meant I had to let one income stream that was coming into my family go. But that it was so important to me that that that's what it meant to me, right? Yeah. But I also worked, so I had to outsource to all of as many tasks as I could to volunteers. And even our board now are all still volunteers. Amazing. We've got team leaders on state team leaders who are still around since the very very first day. We've got six thousand volunteers. I can't manage them and look after them all on my own. I've got 20 staff. I can't look after them all on my own. Yeah. It's about making sure that you get people to do things that they have the skill set and the like that they want to do. If you asked me to spend four hours doing spreadsheets, I would say, I'm sorry, I can't volunteer with you anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm out. So, you know, so. (laughs) Exit stage right. (laughs) Yeah. Pick the skills. Listen. And at the beginning, I used to know every volunteer and their dog's name and their kid's names because I wanted to know what made them tick and how could I get the best from them. Yeah. And that meant they don't like doing spreadsheets then and that was a big part of what we needed to do yeah then what other tasks could they do there were always a hundred tasks to do so yeah I would say that's really important but I also say networking was so pivotal to why we are where we are yeah absolutely so I want to wind back in a moment to you mentioned the bathroom story with the it's in the bag but if I can go back right to the start like you started it went really fast got some great pickups and some great media. When did you actually know this was an issue, that period poverty was an issue? Yeah, February 2015 when I read an article. So how did you become aware? I had, I read it on Mamma Mia's site, but someone had sent it to me. Okay. Somebody had sent it to me and said, read this. Yeah. And tell me about that moment when you read it, what happened for you? I remember sitting on my veranda thinking, 
and, and I am somebody who suffered severely from endometriosis. I had a ended up having, I think there were 13 operations throughout my life. I had two hysterectomies, one partial hysterectomy, then a full hysterectomy two years later. Like periods were a massive issue for me. Yeah. So I couldn't even have imagined dealing with a period without period products. Yeah. Like I didn't even think that was a thing. So I was severely embarrassed that I'd never thought that that would be a thing for somebody. Yeah. I mean, I knew that I would have to use a tampon and a pad and when I was a sales rep and would drive to Gladstone, I'd have to sit on a towel yep. because there was no period undies back in those days. So, and I wouldn't pull over at a toilet because I was by myself and I was scared. So, you know, I just, I don't think share the dignity would exist if I hadn't been, if periods weren't such a massive issue in my life. Yeah. But I remember sitting on my veranda at Sean Cliff going, oh, what? And then when I Googled it, it wasn't the first article that had ever been read. So, I'm like, how do you ever just read that and jog on? Yeah. Like I just don't, didn't understand that. And at that stage my daughters were 15 and 13 and I just thought I don't want them reading about something like this in 10 years' time and we haven't done anything about it. Yeah, I love that. It's interesting, isn't it, because it's like literally a split second that the awareness opens and breaks. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, that first article that I read said that there were 48,000 women who um, were experiencing homelessness. Yesterday, I saw stats from last year that said 169,000 women turned to homelessness services last year. Wow. So the problem keeps escalating. And I thought, oh, 48,000 women who get their, it's not like we're giving them a warm jacket and it keeps them warm for years or a pair of shoes. It's a monthly problem. But the problem is so much greater than I ever imagined. And sometimes I feel like going, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Because We've got drought-stricken farming communities. We've got flooded events. We've got our remote Indigenous communities. Now, that I'm something I'm severely passionate about, right? And then we've got women now who work, who can't afford their rent, their electricity, their fuel and their food. And so they're choosing to have to use wadded-up toilet paper to deal with their period. The problem is getting greater and greater in Australia and whilst our awareness grows, we're still not collecting enough for what is needed to be able to eradicate it. We will get there. How do you feel about that? The problems actually expect, like we're we're Australia. How do you reconcile that we are Australia, apparently a lucky country, and yet this problem is getting exponentially bigger instead of becoming something that you feel as though is under control and you get closer to working your way out of a charity? I feel like we've going in the right direction. So that's a good point, right? So if I say to you, we were instrumental in removing the GST on sanitary items, tick, that has a big impact on equality in itself, right? So bringing that price down was only one small factor of removing the GST. It was really about equality and never would we have seen that if we didn't start to see representation of women around the political table, right? Yeah. So that was really important. But also now we have fought to have advocate that Schools and every state now provide sanitary items. So that's a piece of funding that we don't need to take our donations to anymore. So that allows us to take our donations through to those who are living in poverty outside. Because periods don't happen just at school, right? No. What happens to all of the weeks when they're not at school and the hours when they're not at school? We need to be making sure that we can still provide for that. But the fact that we're able to get the government to take on board 
what we've been advocating for, that no girl should ever miss out on a day of education because a family can't afford sanitary items. We've been able to do that now in every single state. So that's a massive win for us. That is huge. Which means that our money and the donations can then go to, through to help other areas. So while those other areas keep growing, we will keep working with the government to see which is the next point of call where they can come on board and help because this shouldn't be... This is a government issue. Yeah. It's not a charities issue. No, it's a societal. You know, charities only exist because the government doesn't do what they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. When it comes to this journey that you've been on, which has been a stellar journey and really I think creating the kind of change that we should all crave, right? So human rights, basic entitlement type change. What have you learned about having a voice that gets attention and inspires action what have you personally learned about how to grow your voice that way to really command attention and get change oh that's a really that's a really hard one my voice piece comes from passion yeah right and it comes from out most of the time outrage (laughs) so (laughs) sometimes it's hard to curve that outrage and that passion into making sure that your voice is heard in a not a derogative way, but a how can we fix this way? And I think that, you know, clearly one of my skills is this is broken, let's how to fix it and how do we do it with the least amount of steps, right? Yeah. Because, oh, and it's the same as when we, when I set up anything for our volunteers, it's like if it's not easy and simple, I won't do it, they won't do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so ultimately it's about curving that. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is to not respond to something for 72 hours. Oh, I love the 72-hour rule. I've had that for years. Yeah. 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 I have to because either you're arguing with an idiot and you sound like an idiot if you respond (laughs) straight away. Otherwise, you just have to let some things go through to the keeper. But I do respect that I do now have a voice that people want to hear. Yeah. And ironically, we'll listen to, Yeah, which is funny because in my house, when I had teenagers, no one wanted to listen to me. <laughs> I think that's well, every mother's lament. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I still find that a little bit funny. But yeah, look, I think that that 72 hour rule is, is a massive issue for me. And, you know, along the way, there's massive tall poppy issues where I've been cut down and and that has actually come from other females yeah. in other charities, you know, and yeah. I've had to have a lot of therapy to deal with that. Yeah. And sometimes along the way I wanted to quit yeah. because of other people wanting to pull me down. And I think that's really sad. And if I could pass anything on to anybody, it would be their voices don't matter. That's so much about them and not about you. Yeah. Just do what you need to do and keep shining because no matter how, how much you'll dull your light, they'll still be trying to take your light from you. Yeah. We, in the work that I'm doing in the last six months, has pivoted completely to actually just work with women to find their voice, to work out how to speak up and to speak out about what matters and to speak their truth. One of the things that we found really interesting is we had to change our programs. And now the first six to eight weeks we work with women is all about their inner voice. It's all about, and it's actually all about imposter syndrome. It's all about shredding away these layers of opinions that have come in from other people So whilst you say let go of that, and I'm glad that you said, you know, therapy and all the resources that you pull on to be able to move through that yourself, what's something that you would say to women who either A, have imposter syndrome or B, and I've been torn to pieces by the tall poppy syndrome, so I know what you're talking about, either one of those, what's your biggest piece of advice for what they can actually do practically to start to shift through that, to quieten the imposter syndrome and to quieten that outer voice from the people trying to tear you down? 
Ah, uh, yeah. Look, I I did a lot of reading. So Brene Brown to me is incredible, right? Yeah. But I think just surrounding yourself with people who are on the same head heart journey as you is so important, yeah. right? Because anyone else just doesn't matter then. Yeah. Yeah. Identify your inner circle. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I wish I could go back and tell my 30-year-old self so much more than you know, all of the things that I know now at 50, I wish, and I and I have two daughters. So what I'm saying to them now is what other people think of you is nothing to do with you. It's really yeah. got to do with them and not you. But, you know, if I think about when does a little girl in a tutu stop twirling around when other bitches start telling them that she looks stupid doing it? Yeah. Right? So let's stop doing that to everybody. Everyone. Yeah. Everybody. If you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything. If she wants to twirl in a tutu at the age of, 14 or or 80 it doesn't matter let her do whatever makes her happy yeah I could not agree more in fact one of the women is creating a a keynote that is about wearing a tutu fabulous yeah so I just like completely thought of her then so Rochelle a lot of people look up at you and the work that you do and find it incredibly inspiring who do you look to for inspiration who really gets your attention and inspires you and motivates you oh you know I don't have anyone particularly, but I'm constantly inspired by our other volunteers. Yeah. by the, You know, and somebody asked me a question earlier was, what are you most proud of? I'm so proud of the relationships that I've been able to foster through Share the Dignity, but the relationships that other volunteers have been able to foster on Sunday. I went to a birthday party of one of our volunteers who's in a wheelchair. She's the most remarkable woman and 20 people turned up. They were all volunteers and she hadn't had a birthday party since she was 12 years old. she'd had her 50th birthday party and that was because of volunteering like to me that's an honor yeah to be there and it's an honor that she helps us and shares my passion to share the dignity so you know apart from the obvious answers of my daughters and my you know my husband and my fabulous five girlfriends that I've known and been best friends with since preschool I you know I'm surrounded by amazing women and none of them are on tv or anything like that they're just yeah they very rarely are everyday yeah. women that I get to call my friends yeah absolutely and what about when it comes to is there anyone that strikes you as a powerful female voice in the world at the moment I mean you mentioned Brene Brown yeah where do you find or where do you believe the powerful female voices sit at the moment I think it's I think we're seeing it everywhere and I think that we're starting to see it in whatever field they're having their conversations in. You know, like I I look at Susan Pierce who talks about Mind Gardener and what what that does for you. Oh, I love her work. I love Susan. I love her passionately. And, you know, she's no international person, but I absolutely adore her work. I look at the time manager, Kate Christie, and all of the work that she does. And, you know, they're both Australian Women, I've just organised a global period poverty forum that was held here in Brisbane. The amount of women from around the world who are working in this space, oh, my God, I tip my hat off to them because to work in anything to do with poverty is bloody hard, but to work in it in period poverty, yeah, it's so hard. No one wants to flash out their dollars because the people who are flashing out their dollars are normally men and they don't believe that this problem exists for them. So, you know, yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of... There are a lot of women that I look up to and admire in Australia, and I will tell you that I've met most of them through networking events. Oh, I love that. Through going into that room and being in that room, even when I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. Yeah. But, you know, that's how I've met them, and I'm privileged to call them 
friends, whether I've met them half a dozen times, but so many of them have all played a role in helping me to share the dignity, whether it's a piece, a conversation that ended up with a mentoring nugget of gold that's helped me. I mean, they're the bits that can help you, right? Absolutely. The generosity of you know, that connection, that connectivity, when you bump into people, you meet people, you have a conversation. I think one thing that women do really well is that generosity of conversation and the insight that comes through. I just picked up on something there and I'd love to come back to if that's okay, because you said as we were opening that you learned that one of the biggest mistakes you made was just talking to women and about now talking to men and women because it's society's program. And you just mentioned how it's actually hard to get the men to open their wallets and put the money out. How do you navigate that? Like this realisation that you need to talk to both and then you actually need to get them to believe. I think that I've never, I've not really done that well. Yeah. I've not done that well, but that is absolutely a mindset that I've now changed to. And I just thought it was, I probably sat in a safe place, to be honest. I probably sat with, you know, it's an easy conversation to have with women. They would be empathetic to it. And I probably was disrespectful to the fact that men wouldn't be empathetic to it. Yeah. So I really have had to change that mindset. And I really think that that mindset has only come from from COVID and having the time to rest my brain, rest my body and recuperate, right? Yeah. It's really interesting. I'd love to know your perspective, but I look at it sometimes and I'm teaching women how to have a voice, but we've just had two years where we haven't been anywhere. And yet the work is stronger, the work is deeper, and there's a bigger thirst for it. And yes, we've been showing up on screen, but that I feel as though what COVID gifted in hindsight, and there's a lot of gifts, I'm sure you've got yours as well. Yeah, there is. But I think what it gifted was that ability to think deeply, that ability to have the space to really consider and go deep. And even if it was actually more theoretically and thinking, it gave that space. And is that what fostered that ability to breathe and stop and really look at the perspective? Yeah, but I think the bigger gift to that is understanding that if you give yourself space and you give yourself rest, you could be the best version of you. Whereas before COVID, I thought I was the best version of me going a million miles an hour and never, I thought rest was for the week. Yeah. Literally, that's what I thought, right? But really, a much rested space to whether it's pottering in my garden or going for a walk, all those things that I gave up for so long because I was so busy and I needed to be busy to build the charity. Absolutely, I get that. Yeah. But in hindsight, if I could go back, I would make sure that I absolutely got eight hours sleep, that I absolutely took time to do the things that made my heart sing because it makes me think differently. It makes me yeah. be better is what I know now. Yeah. So COVID had so many and, for yes, there was the fact that I couldn't fly anywhere and that people were, there were lots of lockdowns and it, and it caused a lot of, issues for people but for me it was a gift yeah I couldn't agree more I actually in my you know I'm very faith-driven and very spiritual and I quite often kind of smile at myself thinking mm-hmm, that was God speaking telling us to stop absolutely take a breath yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, rest learn to rest yeah we weren't listening so we made sure it happened <laughs> yeah absolutely Rochelle I could talk to you all day long I love this before we do start to wrap up though you mentioned earlier about the bathroom story can we go there for a moment yeah absolutely so it was raining and it was a Sunday and I was cleaning out my bathroom cupboard and I had been a netball coach and a personal trainer and people had given me soaps and powders and oh god perfumes all different sorts of things anyway and I cleaned out my bathroom cupboard and thought oh my god somebody else would love this I don't ever change from my 
same basic things, right? Yeah. I'm the same. I have my standard. <laughs> yeah, I've got my standard and I don't ever change. So I then was cleaning out my handbags and I filled four handbags with all of the stuff that was in there and they didn't have the essentials in them back then. And I took them to a DV shelter that I knew because Share the Dignity had already existed and the looks on those girls' faces and this DV shelter helps women under the age of 25 with a child who fled DV. So it's a very specific. Oh, wow. Some of them had not had a Christmas. Two of those girls had not had a Christmas present since they were 12 years old because they'd been in these long-term DV relationships and and one of them had fled a home of DV. So for them to have their own handbag, have a Christmas gift and to have things that they could use, they felt amazing. So at that stage, I had my own personal training business. My first client was at 5.30 in the morning. I posted about the picture and the story at 5.15 in the morning. By the time I knocked off at lunchtime, that had gone viral. (laughs) And as per like I used to be, I had no thought process into how it would happen. (laughs) But it did happen. And that first year we collected 24,000 bags. I had about 200 volunteers around Australia and people had to, it was so complicated. People had to text the number and say, we put the suburb on the website on an Excel spreadsheet and then we'd put their, their text, they put their phone number and then they'd have to text to get where the address is that they could drop it off and leave it on their front veranda. Front verandas all over Australia were covered. <laughs> the next year though, we did it and we had Fernwood involved, we had Terry White Chemist involved, we had Brazilian beauty and beauty salons involved all over Australia and hairdressing salons. And we collected over 100,000 bags. So there was not enough room in all of those places to collect them. So the year after, it was about May that year, I called out Bunnings on social media and said, Bunnings, you really need to help us. Can everyone tag Bunnings? And ever since then, Bunnings have been on board and have been a collection point for us for the last five years. So we've now collected 730,000 it's in the bags. And every single one of them has a story that impacts somebody's heart. Oh, I love that. I really, you know, it's 730,000 bags is phenomenal. It's not something you would have dreamed when you dropped off those four bags. No. And you're right, every bag has a story. You know, these these things that come on it. Many stories. Many stories. And this is, you know, even the stories of getting them together and getting them to the depots and, you know, actually understanding that it changes someone's life. That's what I want everyone to take away. Like it is so simple. And I think that's why it went viral. Everything you do is so simple, you know. Yeah, that's because I'm simple. <laughs> I, will t- I will be the first to tell you I am full of common sense, but I'm not book smart. My husband yeah. is so book smart and lots of people around me. We all have different skills. We do. I just don't, I think that we have to learn that really early on. You have to try to hone into what do you think is your are your strengths? And focus on them, not on the things that you're not good at. Yeah. Right? We spend so much of our life, like if you look at your report cards, when you used to come home with a report card and you'd get three A's, and what, you know, mine was always in sport. <laughs> but all my parents would do would focus on my C's. Yeah. Right? So then, then you set yourself up for the rest of your life to only focus on the things that you weren't good at. We start it from a really early age. We do. And it's interesting because actually as we get older, it gets so layered that most of us can't even see the good anymore. No, it's just sort of gotten what we excel in and what we find natural. And so, yeah, so I love that piece of advice and that perspective. And you know what? 
having three A's in sports, there are many of us who go, I would love to have had three A's in sports. Yeah, yeah. As <laughs> I would have loved to have your A in biology probably. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, we are who we are and we can always try to be better in different areas, but we're no one else is ever going to be you. No. And you just have to do you the best you can. Yeah. Is there any particular story or any moment that really stands out for you when you realise the impact, like you spoke about when you dropped those bags off? Has there been anything else that's really got your heart? Oh, all the, all the time, all, all the time, to be honest. But I think one story, there are many, but the one story of a woman who had spent two weeks in her car with her two boys because it was safer for her to be in her car and ended up getting a placement at a DV shelter in Inanna, which was in Canberra. She received a bag, but she'd spent two weeks in that car. She hadn't brushed her teeth. She hadn't washed her hair. And she said, she didn't even talk about, she said she hadn't brushed her teeth, but she talked about washing her hair with Pantene, felt like all of the smells of spring all at one hit. She said, I can't believe, like I felt so dirty and like I shouldn't have belonged anywhere. And when I washed my hair and brushed my teeth, I just felt like a different person. And she, while she received that bag, it was really important to her that she received that bag. The very basic of essentials are so important to other people. Yeah, I love her description. You know, uh, there's a hundred other stories that I could tell, though. Yeah, I love that. Is are you going to do a Humans of New York? Are you going to publish a book one day? Oh no, I am. Uh, we are going to start a uh, TV podcast piece where we get to share some of the stories that of people who've been recipients of our of the donations. Amazing. And not only them, it'll be, you know, maybe one will be about talking to a volunteer who's why does she volunteer? It'll just be just interesting stories that are part of Share the Dignity. I look forward to that. When is that coming our way? Next year. Incredible. I have promised everybody I wouldn't do anything new, but this is the only new thing. <laughs> I'm not doing anything new. But <laughs> all this has been on the cards for a little while. We've just won. We're just very excited that Canon have given us everything we need to start the podcast. And Amazing. And yeah, which is super good. So That's incredible. Congratulations on that. Yeah, incredible. Well, let's, let's see how long it takes us to, to bring it to fruition. Yeah. I'd like to see <laughs> yeah. one drop on the 28th of every month. Like a good period. That would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Rochelle, as we close out, I've just got a couple of quick questions, rapid fire type questions. Sure, love them. Do you love reading or podcasts? Podcasts. Podcasts? What are you binging on podcasts? Oh, actually, sorry. No, I like reading, but I like audiobooks. Ah. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah. I'm up to about my 50th book this year. Oh, I love you. And I literally, oh, I love, I love it. And this year is the only time that I've ever read Brene Brown. So I was, abs- and I started with Atlas of the Heart because somebody gave it to me for Christmas. Right. And then I thought, oh, well, I must go back and read and listen to every other book. But I listened to diverse things, you know, um, Matthew McConaughey. Oh my God, he could read to me all day. And I know. I, I can't, I've actually got to listen to Green Lights again because I don't think yeah. I took any of it in. Yeah, totally with you on that one. <laughs> I know, but it was a really, I didn't expect what I got from that book. Yeah. Like he he really is soul deep, He you know. Yeah. Sexy as, but he is super. Yeah, he's not a surface guy. No, yeah. no, I really appreciated that book. But I have been listening a lot to fasting and the the way that it, that our body deals with trauma and fixing the insides of your body. I love that. And I think most of us in this generation are finding that is a key to unlocking a lot more of our health, I think is the diplomatic way to put it. Absolutely. Well, menopause is a whole nother topic, right? Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's what I've been 
trying to do. Because you were 50 this year as well, is that right? No, I turned 50 last year, but I had a hysterectomy. And this time last year, I had a hysterectomy, which completely throws your body in complete wax. So the non-sleeping, the night cramps, the sweats, all of those things, I've been able to manage through Chinese medicine and fasting and, and working my diet to work better for me. Yeah, amazing. And it's yeah. it's a pathway that we all have to go down at some point. Absolutely. So anyone who's listening, but if you're in your 40s heading towards 50s, just start building that knowledge now. <laughs> yeah, build your library bank because it's, it's worth. And, you know, I think it's a little bit like having a baby. People will give you all of their advice. And I think it's yeah. really important that you research as much as you can and take on with what works for you. Absolutely. Just because something worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for you. So speaking of advice from others, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I literally just went to nasty town from bully then. So, (laughs) you know. I love your brain. Stay in your lane. Hey, I love your brain. It just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I don't think that there is worse pieces of of advice I always think that you can learn something from why did they say that yeah you know like sometimes you can analyze and that you can come to the point with to the fact with there's something wrong with them not wrong with you yeah at the same time right yeah so but the old person in me would have gone straight to oh well they've said that because you're not worthy or you're not this or you're not yeah. that so yeah understand who you are and why why people say what they say sometimes yeah love that so much and then there were these the two CEOs who told me that come back to us in a couple of years if share the dignity is still around. Don't you love that, that failure to adopt oh. that? Like, you know, like I remember actually I do have a massive project that fails spectacularly at the end because of contractual breach, but in the build-up to it, the people who came on board and sponsored and partnered, I was so grateful because everyone was saying, oh, when this one works, we'll do the next one. I'm like, pardon? Like... <laughs> And it's it's one of the challenges that we have when something's new and needs change is getting the buy-in. Everybody's or more people are okay once it's safe to invest and align. So, yeah, so totally, yeah. But I love that. That's not worst piece of advice. That's just like, yeah, I'll stay out of your world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I won't be coming knocking on your door when we are successful. No, you don't get to. uh, That's where the Oprah thing comes in, doesn't it? Like if you don't, if you won't, if you won't, what's it? If you won't ride with me on the bus, you don't get to ride in the limo. Yeah, that's right. So, what would be the best piece of advice then that you've ever been given? What's really helped you? Um, I would say you do you. Yeah. You do you. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Have you found that easy? How have you found that? That works for me. Amazing. Because there's no one else like me. Yeah. You know. Incredible. Um, yeah. So that that piece of advice is gold for me. And I would say that's the best thing I I would want to tell tell my children, you just do you. Yes. You're fabulous. Whatever, yeah. you know, you're different. You know, I mean, even my two children are so very different. It doesn't mean that one's better than the other. Yeah, they're just different, aren't they? They're just different. Just do you. I find it fascinating that they come from the same parentage and they raise in the same way and they're like, I've got three that were raised together and they are completely different, you know. Absolutely. And they're gloriously them. Yeah, gloriously yeah. them yeah. in all their flaws and perfections. Yeah. So would that be your actual final pearl of wisdom or final piece of things that we say? Absolutely. You do you. Just do you. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Love it. Because mistakes aren't really mistakes. They're just a way of learning to do things differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, Rochelle, thank you so much for joining us. And to everybody listening, please just remember, just do you. Thank you. Thanks. 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of Raise 1000 Voices. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. And if you have, then I would love you to subscribe to and rate the show on your favorite platform. Our show notes, resources, and links to all our socials can be found at anygiventuesday.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to join a growing community of clever, creative, and courageous women who know that they want to be seen, heard, and remembered, then join us in our Facebook group, Raise 1000 Voices. Until we speak again, take care and remember, you were born to raise your voice.